0: Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people.
1: it's uh mark back on the podcast found a guitar in the studio this is for all of
2: you can you play
1: no it's first time okay here we go Podcasting is really fun, podcasting is really fun, podcasting is really fun, when you're with your friends, when you're with your friends,
2: Venture 12 is really good, Venture 12 is really good, we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, mission is really good, theology and Lots of good stuff for all of you <laughs> listeners. Wow! What did you think of that? Um, I'm, I, I tried to put my mind uh, in the perspective of a first-time listener. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm hoping, if you're a first-time listener, that you uh, will stop now and go and revisit some of the old episodes.
1: <laughs> I think uh, for a first ever song, yeah, that wasn't that that
2: bad, was like, it? No, but I will also challenge you on that, that is not your first ever song.
1: That's right, you've, I am. You've written quite a few songs. I don't play instruments,
2: but. You've written quite a lot of songs about me, actually. I have, yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Andre, uh, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a song called Mysterious Girl, which Mark has written a variation called Mysterious Ming. That's right, And yeah. then you've also replaced the word Lord, with Ming in many (laughs) Christian traditional songs. I will enter Ming's gates with Thanksgiving in my heart.
1: That's right. I do like to write a song about you. Yeah. To lift you up. Yeah, you do. Yeah.
2: Soon and very soon we're going to see the Ming. That's right. A bit Um, of context is that my surname is Mingay. Yeah. Otherwise that doesn't make sense.
1: Forgive us, folks. We know that this is probably not that funny for all of you (laughs) out there. But for us in here... Our work is tough. Life is a challenge sometimes and, and we just need to we need to let yeah, our it hair is. down. Both of us are bold. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We need to let our imaginary hair down. You forgive us for our silliness. Yeah. Um oh, that's a good way to start though. It is. That's an original. It's original, yeah. yeah. And that that's one of the things we try and do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean we're all about pioneering. Yeah. Breaking new ground. Breaking new ground. Trying new things, taking risks. And we know there's a lot of you who are very serious people and you're probably thinking that I'm gonna turn off. Yeah, right do, now. Do do it. Do
2: <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to call their bluff. to See if they're still listening. Ah, uh, very clever.
1: Uh, <laughs> very clever. I think Ventris is a lot smarter than you, you think, Chris. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh, let us know if you're
1: still listening.
2: <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and don't let us know if you're not.
1: Yeah. And I I do take feedback. Yeah. on my songwriting ability, so... Um, but you, you, it doesn't impact what you do, though, does it? No, I don't take it on board, but I, resi- <laughs> I receive it. I receive impact. It just, just doesn't lead to change. doesn't lead to change.
2: <laughs> That's often been my Achilles heel. <laughs> oh. In the context of today's <laughs> theme, discipleship... Have you got a segue? I got a segue there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very difficult to decide. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> okay, oh. let's try and start moving. Gosh, <laughs> I just want to say uh,
1: before we go on, <laughs> I listened to the last episode, which was brilliant. With the ends, yeah. the introduction, you guys hung me out big time. Did we? What did we say? You're talking about the time where I said the F word. Oh yeah. In the European. Championship final, oh, and yeah. England lost. Yeah, and I lost it and said the f word. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my kids, uh, yeah, found that difficult. Let's yeah. just say. Yeah.
2: So, how did you feel when you heard that podcast? I was like, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the world's listening. I could have told some different stories, actually.
1: Yeah, all the, the thousands and millions of listeners that we have. Well, actually, this is
2: now episode two, of season four. On the first episode of season one, you and me did the introduction, which would have been just over three years ago, and we said that we were coming for number one spot in Christian podcasting. Yeah. Have, have we got it? Um,
1: we're not there yet, Chris. No? Right. Um, okay. We're not there yet. Uh, we lack a... Uh, what I'd say, we lack a bit of um, funding. <laughs> yeah. So So, uh, otherwise we'd be well on our way, so uh, yeah. if there's anyone out there who's kind of all feeling the spirit yeah. laying it on their hearts to send us a big budget
2: send us money
1: <laughs> no i don't think we're anywhere near it but we, we we are grateful for the support that we do have and the traction that the podcast is getting yeah that's absolutely. really good all right so um, should we yeah. should we talk about today and the interview
2: let's do that yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you did the interview this time around, Uh A return guest. Uh, tell us about who
1: the person is and
2: what the topic was.
1: Yes. So the theme is um, ordinary discipleship. And the guest is Jessie Krushank, who's been on several times. and Once? No, she's been on twice. Has she? Yeah. <clears throat> you interviewed her once. Yeah. And she did one of the oh, the, uh, the uh, series, the mini-series yes, that Emma yes, did yes, with yes, uh, female, female Apostolic. Yeah. 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 So she did one of those. Yeah. So she's kind of part of the family. Yeah. Can we say that? Um, not I'm sure not sure how everybody. she'd feel, no. but we can say it. We yeah. can say that. Yeah. And uh, so she's r- written a book and does a lot of work around um, discipleship. And I think this episode is really, really good for those of you who are interested in multisensory learning mm. and are uh, looking at ways and curious about what subject is going to look like going forward. Um, our church traditions have maybe been quite heavy on teaching and making it seem quite an academic venture or a sense of having to learn lots. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. No. It's a really interesting insight. She's uh, mm, She's got great experience mm. um, and uh, is also a neuroscientist, so that brings an added interesting aspect to her thoughts and her experiences.
2: Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's get into that. And uh, welcome back after the interview, uh, where we'll post some questions and share some of our reflections. Enjoy
1: Welcome Jesse Krushank to the Venture 12 podcast. How are you doing?
0: Today I'm doing very lovely. So it's, that's not true of every day, but it is true of today.
1: That's a good, good answer. Well, hopefully we'll have some time and we'll maybe be able to unpack that as we weave in and out of the conversation today. (laughs) through stories and through through you sharing. Um, But one of the reasons, the main reason we've got you on the show today is because recently you've uh, written a book, uh, Ordinary Discipleship, and we're really excited to hear a little bit about that. But before we do that, what we always ask at the outset of every podcast conversation is, um, and I just say, we've had you on before, but if there are listeners who've not heard the previous episodes, I think this is still important. Can you just tell us who you are, what you do, what you love, what you're up to? So,
0: <laughs> well, that's, okay, that's a super long answer. But what I can tell you is that, um, yeah, I'm Jesse Crickshank. I'm an ordained Foursquare minister, but I'm like this practical person. So I'm educated in brain science. I have a lot of outdoor hobbies. I've... um worked with multiple organizations, like creating and building as a, as an apostolic female, um, which is what I talk to your wife a lot about. Um, But so what I love is I love to create places of transformation and that involves both um, identity in Christ and belonging. But I like to do that both inside the church and then outside the church. um, What works for people of faith actually works for society. So every now and then I consult um, to businesses and organizations, but I just like to help partner with the way God made us because I think God is actually pretty brilliant. And it took me a long time to agree that God was brilliant. <laughs> I thought he just wasn't very good at his job and set us up for a failure. But the more I learned about brain science and the more I spent time in the word, the clearer became to me that God actually knows what he's doing. It's us who make it hard. It's us who set ourselves up for failure. So um, I just like to partner with biology and the Bible and see God do amazing things in different, uh, lots of different environments. So denominations, churches, um, businesses, all that sort of thing. So that's the, like the meta answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. But you also, uh, so for those of you who will go and buy the book, uh, you'll discover that Jesse climbs mountains and does stuff like that or has done stuff like that. Can you tell us a bit about that, that love or that so, hobby uh, or what's that about?
0: Well, so when I was a teenager, I was a professional rock climber. I started when I was like rock climbing when I was five and mountaineering when I was seven. So my dad took me out. Um, and that's like technical snow mountaineering with ropes and ice axes. And there's a story in the book about being seven years old on a major mountain and falling. Um I don't want to give a spoiler alert of that story but um was that the sto- I, sorry uh, was that
1: the, was that the story where you had to use the pickaxe to save your life yeah have I just bought it for everyone
0: <laughs> a little bit that's <laughs> oh, okay
1: oh it's an amazing story and she's here today so anyway yeah
0: <laughs> So, get the book to find out how um, i almost died but um when i was in after when i graduated college after i graduated um with a undergrad in science and i was going to be a high school science teacher instead the lord called me into full time ministry and i helped build an outdoor guiding school for the purpose of deep discipleship so we would take adults on 40 day trips we would take youth and and some families on on younger on on smaller trips or shorter trips but our flagship program was a 40 day, 40 night program. And it's immersion discipleship is what we called it, where you were out in the wilderness. And I mean like the literal wilderness. I don't just mean camping. I mean, like you're carrying your backpack. It has 70 to hundred pounds in it. You're hiking up to nine miles to the next camp and setting up camp. Um, so you have technical snow mountaineering in that technical rock climbing in that a two day solo, a peak, uh, peak attempts a week long student led section where they would be by themselves and have a peak attempt in the middle of that. So, so that whole process for the purpose of helping people be formed hmm. in who God created them to be. So their identity, their belonging with the group, um, all the, the wilderness and the fear and the struggle of that bringing out who you are <laughs> hmm. and those becoming teachable moments. And um I, trained the staff to do that, um, to be the expedition guides and and that sort of thing. So um, had the privilege of doing that for over a decade and oversaw the disciple making of uh, over 4,000 individuals, had um, 50 seasonal staff, 10 full-time staff, not the same, but so so taught about 100 people how to be ministry leaders in that environment um, and did that until the Lord move me in 2013 into a different season so but that ministry is still growing and thriving I was just up there this weekend and rock climbing and and being in the environment which is why I was a little I've been super sore the last couple days (laughs) from um, being out on the rock rock climbing again (laughs) yeah
1: well I mean just for those of you who will get the book I mean you'll see that uh, um so many of your impressions from life and stories and, and and encounters were formed during that season of your life. Uh, and the book is really yeah, some of the fruit of of, of that. Uh, so yeah. so yeah, so yeah, let's get into the book. So you've written this book, Ordin- Ordinary Discipleship. Um, can you just give us I hope you're not bored about talking about this because I guess you've been on lots of podcasts. So give us your best, as if it's the first time ever. So can you give us a, <laughs> a vision? for what for why you wrote the book and why and who is it for and why now who needs to read it
0: so when in in doing the wilderness ministry i was teaching ordinary people how to be disciple makers and um you know i didn't have any formal like a leadership degree i'd just been a leader my whole life I didn't have any formal, formal theological training. I had just been a minister <laughs> most of my life, like just trying to tell people about Jesus and um, uh, felt called to ministry when I was very, very young. And when I moved out of that that uh, community that we were teaching people how to be disciple makers and, and that's where I learned what that meant. I learned what it meant to be a disciple. I learned what it meant to come alongside someone else as a disciple maker. When I left that environment and was recruited into denominational leadership, um, I realized how or became aware of how little training there was out in the Christian world about those topics. So I started working with pastors, trying to teach them how to be disciple makers and what did it mean to be a disciple. And, and it was interesting to me to see the confusion um, that they had and as i looked at the resources that were out there i would i would put them into two categories the the books and resources were either what i would call seminary light and they would talk about spiritual disciplines or systematic theology and um interesting most of them were written by cessationists which is kind of like the side thought that actually is quite relevant to our conversation um But an interesting observation anyway, but to me, it looked like people were trying to teach someone else how to be a disciple based on how they learned at seminary or at school. The problem is, is that most people don't like school, that only 50% of adults can even see systems. So systematic theology doesn't even make sense for 50% of the world of adults. Um, and, And I was just like, I don't, I don't know how useful this is to people. And 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 it was pro- it's just problematic, right? That it it's problematic for for those various reasons. The other group of resources that I saw were more relational. They were more um, Holy Spirit led or or infused with that. But they uh, so they talk about how to be a leader um, and disciple maker. But they made those two the same, and they were written to leaders. They were written to people who had organizational leadership or some sort of um, power to gather people. Um, like like a small group leader or a house church leader. Well, the problem with that is that a lot of people don't think of themselves as leaders. A lot of people don't, you know, aren't going to pick up that book because they're not in that position. And in fact, of the percentage of Christians who are in that role or position, it would be a little similar to the same number that are actual seminary graduates and can unpack systematic theology for you. Okay so you have these two major clumps of resources that miss most of everybody. But I had been training for a long time the every person, the any person in being a disciple maker. So I wanted to help fill that gap. I wanted to help coach a per- a normal everyday follower of Jesus on how to come alongside somebody and help them be changed by Jesus too. So what did that relational dynamic look like? What does it mean to hear from the Holy spirit on behalf and with someone else? And then how do you hold space for the challenge and the change that transformation actually takes because these other books and resources are really much more information or service oriented. So it's either about right belief or right behavior. I care about transformation of the heart, which then can lead to some of those other things. And so transformation of the heart actually means that you go through a very difficult place of a, a thing that we call liminality, a thing that sports calls the suck. You know, it's that place where your heart and your brain actually have to rewire. It has to detangle or even actually deconstruct and then reconstruct. And we call that a paradigm change, or we call that an aha moment. And I want to help people have those because those will change your life. Those will change your future. How do you learn something today that changes your tomorrow? That's what I care about for the sake of discipleship. And so the book goes through the skills that it takes for a guide to help somebody have those things happen. And so it's not meant to necessarily replace these other resources, but to be a companion to them, to coach the disciple maker on the relational part and the spiritual um, dynamics that happen in that relationship. That's such a great
1: vision read it. Uh, and really relevant because there's a co- so much resource around discipleship, but there's not the correlation of impact. So we need, yeah, just to, just echoing that, we just need those resources that help us do that heart journey and that transformative metanoia. Um, yeah. So uh, off the back of that, well, my, my question is, you know, just, uh, there are a lot of resources, a lot of people uh, writing books and a lot of conferences around trying to reorientate and realign us around discipleship um and with that lots of people having a go at their definitions of discipleship um could you just maybe just like where have you come to how would you if you would just explain it to anyone you know how would you define a disciple and then a disciple maker
0: so yeah so i and that's that's great and that's very important because people have to know what it is that they're even inviting people you know inviting somebody else into So for me, that metanoia is everything. Um, So for me, uh, being a disciple is being changed by Jesus. I don't just follow Jesus. I'm actually changed by Jesus Um, because you can follow somebody and have a hard heart and never let Jesus be Lord of those places. But when Jesus is Lord of the places in your heart, he requires something of you and that changes you. So for me, change is the hallmark of being a disciple. So then a disciple maker is someone who comes alongside someone else in a spirit-led way to help them be changed by Jesus too.
1: That's simple. uh, 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 That's really good. It just triggered something in me. When I read your book, you said something about that you, it's not enough to follow Jesus' wisdom, but he needs to be king of your life you, you've made two states I, i'm i can't remember them exactly but i remember that really being oh yeah that's really good i want to use that that's really helpful Could, Do you remember that did you write that or am i making it up or something around
0: yeah that. yeah i mean so i care about transformation and agreement isn't transformation hmm. and most of us approach jesus from this place of well do you agree that he was savior you know do you agree to let him be your savior or do you agree that he is the son of god okay, well, those are, those are important moments, but it's so different than him being King of your life and you actually giving overlordship to him. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I do have this chapter. I walk through these different places of your life. And what does it mean for Jesus to be King of those? Because in each one of those, in each part of your heart there for him to be King and Lord means that you lay down that right and you give you give that permission over and it requires something of you. So for me, the journey of discipleship is each part of your heart and each part of your life coming under his lordship and his kingship. And what does that what does that ask of you? What does that mean for you not to be that? And that that is that is a change process, right? So if I'm no longer king of how I love my enemies or how I treat my enemies and, and Jesus is, then he says, I have to love them. I have to lay down my life, which means that no division can exist. No disassociation can exist for me, right? That That requires me to deal with a lot of stuff. And I would think of that being the substance of discipleship rather than maybe just learning some theology or some information that men maybe I agree or disagree. And I can just, I manage and it comes to me on my own terms. God doesn't ask me to relate to him on my own terms. He asks me to relate to him on his terms mm. and kingship to me is different than, than that informational agreement mm. kind of dynamic.
1: Okay. We'll come back to some of that. because that's really important. Um, Okay, so my my uh, question I've got is um, you you write that discipleship at, at its essence is simple, helping people discover who God says they are and helping them live into it. Um, can you perhaps help us understand some ways where or why we've or how we've overcomplicated or reduced it, leading to a sense of actually it's not simple, it's quite hard? We, because I think that's one of the feelings that a lot of people might have listening. Actually, discipleship isn't simple. It's, it's been quite a challenge.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think we've, we make the wrong thing, the challenge. I think there is a challenge in there, but we've made it, we've, we've aligned the challenge to the wrong place and therefore we've missed the actual challenge. I think it's a distractor. I mm-hmm. think it's um, maybe even, If I were to wear my Pentecostal hat, a con from the enemy to get us to fight the wrong fight. So for me, discipleship is a journey of identity formation. Who does God say I am? And bringing my life into alignment with that. And that's not in like a disconnected way, but God says that I'm his child. God says that I'm dearly beloved. God says that I have intimacy with him in ways I don't deserve and can't even understand. Like, like those are part of the truths that I need to come into alignment with. And that challenges so much of my being, right? So much of my, um, fallen nature is like, I can't be loved by an an omnipotent, omniscient God who knows everything and is holy. And yet God says in the scripture, no, 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 come, come be with me. Yes, I'm holy. And I will change you by that relationship. So, so for me, disciple making is this journey of identity, um, transformation, And that's actually how he created us biologically to learn and grow. Instead, the distractors, we've made it about that, about information. We use information to disciple people thinking if they know the thing and they have the opportunity to make a choice, then they'll be transformed. Well, that that doesn't work biologically. And in fact, Paul talked about that a lot in the New Testament, that that doesn't work scripturally. Like he called that the law. When we tell somebody what's right and wrong and expect that they have the opportunity to choose the right, then that's enough that's called the law that brings death. We can't do it. And that's where I was like, Oh, I wonder if God set us up for failure. Um, so biologically and biblically that's wrong, but that's what we do. And that's what we've been taught and teach people and call it discipleship. So we make then the fight, the wrong thing. Then the fight is, did I memorize enough today? Am I behaving? Am I squashing my soul enough that I can overcome it? So I can have the right behavior or am I studying enough so that I can and, and theologically find theological purity, which no one has, um, but let me study enough so that I can have the right belief. And we end up in those places and neither one of those bring transformation. Neither one of all of those just kind of create self-righteousness. It creates arrogance or it creates shame and we can't do the thing that we know we should do. And it's designed to fail by God. Paul talks, and that's radical. Like that's radical. Oh, we are so bad at disciple making because we're doing it the wrong way. And God set it up so that that way would fail. Okay, we have to, you know, just take a moment and just think about that. Okay, so this is where I asked God, well, what did you do to set us up for success? Because I don't believe that you're mean and cruel. Well, the way that he set it up is that And this is what also what Paul talks about, especially in Galatians, is that if we invite Jesus into it, if we invite the blood of Jesus, if we just lean into the fact that we're incapable of actually knowing God in truth and purity, and we're incapable of behaving the way that he would desire us to, and we just lean into the cross and the blood and that adoption. Then God restores us from the inside out through intimacy, through relationship, um, and that we're changed that way. And and biologically, that is actually how he created us to change. Relationship creates deep transformation in us. It creates different um, aha moments that, that come from the inside out that we can't help but then live a life in alignment with. So if I know that God's happy with me and that there's nothing I can do to let Him down and He'll never be disappointed in me, well then of course I'm inspired to like be generous, to live in peace, to be, live, you know, abundantly towards someone. Um, it changes, it changes me, and I don't have to study for that, and I don't have to work really hard towards that. In like this top down, I'm gonna just access my will to do the right thing here, kind of way. Okay, so that when it's God's responsibility to transform me and I can just live into the truth of it. That sounds a lot easier than this, like, whole performance Christianity kind of dynamic. um,
1: You you do say, I think you said this and what you're saying, but you say so clearly in the book, discipleship is not the same as teaching. um, And it's not discipleship if there's no relationship. You can't be discipled by someone you haven't met. Uh, and the activities of the church don't make discipleship disciples make disciples i just thought that was i mean i should know this by now but it's it still felt like i needed to hear it (laughs) and uh, reminded i guess that's that's some of the angst that you might perhaps see in a lot of spaces um yeah yeah
0: we've we've created a lot of church activities thinking their discipleship or they'll achieve that goal and they're they won't. It's, it's not, it's just not how God created us Mm. to change. We're not created to change by sitting and listening, listening to a lecture that doesn't transform us. It's the wrong memory system. It's Mm. the wrong biological system. We are created to change by sitting down face to face and having a conversation and somebody go, well, tell me what you were thinking or what was going on in your heart when you did that, like weird thing Mm. that, that, is created a chance we are created to be transformed by that conversation
1: okay then so let's get to the gold then so ordinary people ordinary people everyone gets to play um what's the minimum you need to know and how do you get going and can you just i mean we've all preached that ordinary people can be used by god give me your take on on that
0: two minimums one if you're making a disciple if you're acting as a disciple maker, that you are also in a discipleship relationship. But there's a double check. No one is top of the food chain. No one gets out of accountability and somebody else saying, "Um, that was a little strange. <laughs> that was weird. You had a weird tone. You had a weird look. What's going on there? Like, I-, I don't care if you're a ministry leader or a senior pastor. Everyone needs people watching their life and speaking into it. Um. So So that every person making a disciple is also in a discipleship relationship by someone who sees their everyday life. Hey, can I jump so in that's there? one. And then, can I jump huh? in there?
1: Can I jump in quickly yeah, yeah. there? Cause I think that's really important. So you, I reckon, and I speak, thinking about my own life, you know, I've been part of this groups where we've tried to create spaces to make disciples and relationships where we make disciples. And then the older you get and the more involved you get in ministry, you kind of start opting out of those kind of, Co spaces, and then you invite a mentor. Is a mentor the same? Would you, or or is a mentor the same as someone who you've acted? Okay, or or can they be different things? So I think a lot of leaders probably have mentors, but is that a different thing to having someone being permission given to disciple you? Can it be the same?
0: I think it just uh, sometimes they can be the same thing. It depends on the proximity of that person and how much they how much you're opening your, um, mental narrative to them. So, you know, I have a mentor that isn't, doesn't see me in my everyday life, but I do talk to them about my thought life and they do have the ability to, to speak into that. And I have people who are around me who see me in my everyday life and can, you know, call me out on my squishy face, I call it. Um, so that's why it's a group project. It's not, it's a uh, disciple making discipleship is a group assignment because what that, that distance mentor can speak into me as I'm processing some things will be different than what that person who sees me every day and rolls their eyes at me. And is like, "Uh, I don't know about that thing. Jess. like that, that's a different value. And, and that's why I don't like these little like singular relationships. I think we embrace it as a group because I may notice something in you and be like, oh, I think there's something there. And that'll be different than maybe what somebody else notices and sees. And that whole group thing then also has to be submitted to the Holy Spirit because you need to be spirit led, not just fixing each other. We need to not like abusively shine lights on people's blind spots and and, and be out of God's timing for the lesson he has somebody in. Like, I really fear the Lord. And I know the Lord has an agenda for your life. And the Holy Spirit has like an order or thing that the Holy Spirit cares about and says, okay, no, this is the thing that I want to, to see and, and, and grow and change. Here's the gift I want to give Mark in this season. And then the whole community should be aligned around that, submitted to the Holy Spirit in that agenda. So maybe there's other things about you that are like difficult. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is working on. The group needs to be submitted to God's agenda for your life in this season. And we just hold space with the rest. So that's where I get to the second thing that I think um, a disciple maker needs to have. And that is that support of the community that we are learning to hear the Holy Spirit together so that we can be submitted that the Holy Spirit's agenda is the major agenda here. Not my discipleship curriculum, not my program. I can't think that you don't hear from God Or that God hasn't been speaking to you unless I say it, because that's, I call that the blank slate fallacy, right? So we have to operate off of the assumption that God is working, has an agenda, knows what he's doing. And I just, the community just gets to partner with that, which changes the burden and it changes the accountability to being spirit-led instead of having all the information, right? So I don't know all the answers, but maybe somebody does. And at the end of the day, if we can hear the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit can have the answer. Mm -hmm. So yeah so that changes the accountability to being spirit-led
1: it's hmm, really good I, I was also you said something about um you never I think you touched on it, you never arrive uh, it, it's it's a process can you <laughs> I mean I was just reading that I was thinking, oh, I don't know why I should have learned this a long time ago but I needed to hear that as well what, what why what, what were you trying to say there? It,
0: when we make discipleship about right belief or right behavior hmm. and okay so let's say right behavior let's say I'm I don't have any major sins. Yeah, maybe there's some things I could do better, but I don't have any major sins. I'm going to think like, yeah, no, I'm good. Right. There's no big thing for my to be changed in my behavior. Or if we make it about right belief and I've studied really well, and I have a good grasp of my own theology or my theology stream or whatever, whatever that is, then I'm going to think that I'm good too. Right. And when we make it about those, we can come to, or we can be the best in a room. Right? And really, that's all we're thinking about. am I am I the best in this room? Compared to the people I know? How am I doing? That's what the back of our mind is doing. But when we make it about this transformation of the heart, there's always something more that God wants to shape in us. There's always more of God's heart that He can invite us into. And there's always a place of depth, of mystery, of wonder, of loving better. Of being impacted by those that we don't think we should be. And how do we do that? How do I mean, I think about a God who is all love and holiness and truth and light and purity, who abides incarnationally with us and is impacted by us. If I were all truth, light, and holiness, I would not want to be tainted by, you know, peeps. I would not want to enter into humanity and sit with humanity in our in our muck, of in our self-made problems, and our immaturity. And yet God does. Hmm. And if God calls me to be like him, that means that there's a place where I have to. So there's always a population of people that the Lord is challenging me to be incarnational with. That's, that's how you never arrive. Because hmm. we can never hold space with the sin of certain people. Hmm. And God is always trying to help us be a little better, at loving a little better, at letting go of more, letting him be God more. For me, spiritual maturity looks like being a five-year-old. I want to be a five-year-old in the kingdom. One, it's because I have about as much understanding of the cosmos as a five-year-old does. I have as much understanding and grasp of God as a five-year-old. And so there's one, like, let's just embrace what we don't know and that we don't know. And God thinks it's fine. Okay, so I have to think it's fine. God thinks it's fine. And then I also think about how brave and how self consciousless a five year old can be, right? Five year olds run around the backyard. They jump off things. They're like, yeah, I can jump. Dad will catch me. Okay, well, do I have that kind of faith? Can I just play in the kingdom and be like, oh, you know what? Daddy will catch me and I can jump off the thing? Or, you know, and they're still, they're obedient, right? They're past the terrible, too. So you can at least like, Get their attention and be like, hey, don't do that, you know, and 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 that responsiveness. Am I content being a five-year-old in the kingdom with what I don't know, being obedient and being self-consciousless? Because I have faith. Okay, well, I'm not there yet, but that's what I think maturity looks like. <laughs> I'm still trying to be an adult. <laughs>
1: uh, all right. Like
0: responsible. <laughs> and God's like, no, trust me more.
1: That's good. All right. I'm not I'm not calling you a geek, but um, there were some geeky moments in the book, which I really liked. Uh, and I'll say they're quite important as well. Um, so can you can you kind of like help us dive into this? I'm not saying get back to school, or but let's all put, put on our geek hats. Can you talk to us about the autobiographical memory and semantic memory and, and why you thought it was relevant to bring that up in the book? and how is it relevant in our transformational journey
0: yeah yeah it's it's the neuroscientist in me is like but that's what gave me faith that god knew what he was doing and he did set us up for success was when he he showed me the difference between teaching to autobiographical memory and teaching to semantic memory so let me let me explain what these are um so semantic memory is our data fact memory system these are two different completely different memory systems in the brain so your semantic memory like i said stores your data facts the kind that wins you trivia the kind that makes you like who wants to be a millionaire on tv right like that kind of information is stored in the front of your brain they call it your prefrontal lobe and it's up here in the front of your brain and it has an incredibly well documented forgetting rate your brain forgets it very easily that's why very few people win trivia right? If you remember the capitals of Europe or memorize that as a kid in school, okay, one, they've kind of changed. And two, you haven't, you've forgotten them, right? Like your brain dumps it. So most of the information that we come, that comes in, in that memory system, we forget by the next day. And it's almost all gone by the weekend, but that's our, so that's our informational receiving, you know, our data information receiving system. Okay. So that's one type of memory system. The other type of memory system is the one that includes um, your muscle memory and your autobiographical memory. And your autobiographical memory is fascinating memory system. It is stored in your entire body. This is the memory of your story, right? Autobiography. Who am I? What is my story? How, what's my identity? And that memory system is interconnected through your whole brain and your whole body. So when you remember something from your story, you actually feel it with your whole being, right? Your body keeps the score. Your body is storing that information and it brings it up to you. So your brain is very invested in this memory system. You don't want to forget it. That's dementia. That scares us. Well, what's also fascinating about the autobiographical memory system is the way that you remember the past is the way that you think about the future. So just like you remember the past, your brain uses the same process to project into the future. So autobiographical memory is the only system that can answer the question, how do I apply this to my life? Semantic memory forgets it. It doesn't care. And it doesn't ask you permission. It's like, oh, let's, you know, let's keep this one nugget of information and drop the other. It doesn't care. It's not talking to you. But your autobiographical memory, when you learn something there, your brain is automatically applying it to tomorrow. So let's bring this in super practical. Yeah. When we learn God is good, or if you teach somebody, God, somebody that God is good, and we do it as a data fact nugget, as an informational piece that we hand somebody in a discipleship class, then that is stored in semantic memory. And we literally cannot, we neurobiologically cannot apply it to our future. It's the wrong memory system. And so we're teaching, this is why the right and wrong and the law doesn't bring transformation. That's going into semantic memory. That's going into the memory that we forget. That's going into the memory system that cannot be applied to our life. The problem is that if I ask you, if you know God is good, your brain doesn't identify which memory system it's in. It just says, yes, because I learned it somewhere here. And we say, we'll have head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. And this is literally how we educate people beyond their obedience. So that's the hard way. That's the impossible way. That's the way that God set it up not to work. Okay. So let's contrast that with the way God set us up to be successful, which is autobiographical memory, which is story, which is identity, which is experience, which is journey. When we learn that God is good there, we have an aha moment. We call that a revelation. It changes our past. It changes the way we think about our story and our history And it also automatically applies to our future. So God created us so that if we learn in our autobiographical memory, if we learn through experience, relationship, story, it automatically changes us. It automatically applies to our future. It's like at minimum 80%, like the data is 80% likely to change your tomorrow. Okay, that sounds like something God can set us up for success because it means that I can just tell you My story, and that changes your story. So then, not only can an ordinary person make a disciple just by sharing what heaven taught them, but actually a mediocre person can make a disciple because God created us to transform in this easy way that doesn't involve education, that doesn't involve literacy, right? There's got to be a way to be a disciple without being literate. So, God created us to be changed by story because then anyone can do it a child can do that okay that sounds like a god who knows what he's doing who set us up for success in this whole life thing he called us to do so that's yes. the difference between the two memory systems and why it's so profound for me that's
1: amazing I read actually somewhere last week that um in a in a book that around the early church that 66 around 60 70 percent of the early church was probably illiterate couldn't read or write and so you know didn't have the bible uh it is the first
0: 300 years what did they even do
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so I mean uh now it's something seemed to work though um all right let's make this even more practical so uh, I'm actually starting um a disciple a discipleship journey with someone immediately after this call so I'm in town and uh, we're going to meet up and uh we're who knows where, where that will go. Um, in, in the book, you talk about um, when you start a discipleship journey with someone, you, you're very open about what the nature of that relationship is, the, the boundaries, are, and, and what the focus is. Can you just maybe give us a bit of insight into how, how you normally go about, about that and what do you recommend or encourage?
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a great question because it is different based on our personalities what that, what that dy- dynamic may look like. And I have an online class. It was like the digital workbook that goes with the book. And there's some exercises in there because you can't put exercises in the book, right? You, but there's some exercises in the online class that will help you form your own strategy because it's, are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Do you want something formal? Do you want something more informal? You know, do you want to have a thing that you walk through and questions that you do? Or do you just want to have conversation? Like, who are you? How did God create you? and then that'll help you know how to connect with and know the right person that you're supposed to disciple because I'm not meant to disciple everybody not everybody's a good fit for my personality again it's a group project so what i do because i like to to articulate some boundaries in um and expectations those are those will be the same thing is that i talk to them and i'm like hey i don't need a curriculum but i'm just going to ask you some questions and so the expectation is that permission to ask questions, to ask the deeper question, to ask the scarier question, to say, tell me more about that. Or why do you think that? Um, and and have the permission for life and then also let them know that they have permission to ask me questions. They have permission to know more about me and my life. My life isn't um, a, a cut off from them. There may be things that I don't talk with them about that are inappropriate based on their level of maturity or where I'm at and walking through it. I try to be as as transparent as emotional maturity for both of us allows. Um, So it's not that I have to wait till I'm all good. Like I'll let them know if I'm having a bad day um, because I want them to see what Jesus looks like in Jess on a bad day. Uh, But... Yeah. So I set up those, the, the, the permission space and then the two of us kind of figure out what does that rhythm look like? Are we going to have coffee? Are we going to talk about the sermon that was at church? Or is there, is there some sort of, I've done book studies with people um, because they needed more structure. They were introverted. They needed to think about stuff ahead of time. And so they needed those, they needed that because they're going to be processing without me. The extroverts, we do more just conversation because they can think as they go. So what does that person need? How much structure do they need? Um, And yeah, what does, what does our rhythm look like? And I set an end date a little bit. I set some some sort of like, we're not, we're not getting married. This isn't a forever thing. This is a season. So we're going to discern what that, when that season may end um, because they may need a different disciple maker at that point, or the Lord has somebody different for me. So I just kind of said set, set, yeah the rhythm how are we going to address the content the expectation of permission and boundary boundariedness. and then where's the end what what are we agreeing to um and we may re-up right we may say oh hey we the Lord isn't done yet and keep going so those are the things that I have in that conversation um with somebody else
1: all right then. That's helpful. that's helpful Jess. um so uh I've just looked at the time and it's running out uh which always happens it always it's annoying isn't it um but that's that's life we've had so much um great stuff already but just as uh, we're, we're coming to a close uh, um I, I just want to ask this this final question um with, with all that's been happening, so if we just take a step and look from the balcony, <laughs> if you like, to the wide expanse of what's been going on across our world, um, with all the upheaval and and change, you know, we we, it seems that we really need a a dynamic vision of the kingdom, um, that that's got the potential to really, you know, make impact in local communities, in local lives, once again, in continents like Europe, like like. Um, in other parts of the world. Uh, I, I, I've i been thinking about this a lot, and I was listening to someone who, just off the cuff, they said, is Christianity a failed religion if it's seemingly failing to accomplish what it's set out to do, that being transforming individuals and communities? And I think it was just a passing comment. Um, and it just really struck me. Uh, so this, so w- this is a moment where you, I just want to, be, have you got anything that can give, people on the frontiers of ministry, hope, encouragement, uh, uh, and wisdom, perhaps at this critical juncture in time.
0: Yeah. You know, thinking about the power of story, one thing that I have started like mentally to interrogate is what story do we think we're in? And is it the story God's telling, or is it the story the enemy's telling? Because the enemy will tell a story where it focuses, hyper focuses on all of our personal failures, our corporate failures, the failures of of a church, of Christianity, of a nation. And while th- those are probably true, they're not the whole story. So I've been increasingly suspicious of these decline stories, of these failure stories um, as the grand story. Um, I've been I've been listening to Steve Pinkert's book on um uh, better better angels of our nature that was recommended at a conference that you and your wife uh me and your wife are at. And he has this 37 hours worth of an audiobook to convince us that the world is less violent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it actually compared to the history of the world, it is less violent. And then, you know, like 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 we actually have an increased value for human life. And then I'm listening to another book talking, and it says that we have a connection crisis because people don't feel connected to God. And I pause and I was like, what did they think a hundred years ago? Did the average person think that they could be connected to God and that that was an expectation? I don't think so. Right? And now we're having a conversation about the ordinary everyday person being dis- a disciple maker, and we're adding that to the conversation. And like a hundred years ago, did the everyday person, follower of Jesus, even think? Think of themselves as a disciple maker? And the answer is no. And so if I think about even where Christianity has come in the last 140, 150 years, let's put the let's put the Azusa revival, let's put the Pentecostal um, uh, uh, revival in there, um, what the average Christian thinks about God and expects of their daily life is radically improved and more aligned to the Bible than it was 150 years ago. I think we have a better understanding of God than we ever had. And so, okay, there's this increase of accountability because there's this, this broadening of and in, in more accurate expectation. So I actually think the story is God is cleaning up his bread. I actually think we are better, more aligned with the heart of God and what he wants for us than we ever have been in the history of the Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's greater accountability because we know more, but we're so close. I think for every story of failure and harm and church abuse, there are a hundred untold stories of Christian faithfulness, of the everyday, unknown, unplatformed person loving their neighbor well, taking care of a homeless person, handing out food, giving money to a natural disaster. I think the average everyday Christian is living a more biblically aligned life than they ever have. So who's telling the story? And is it the right story? Is it the actual truth? I have have found hope where I didn't know hope existed, but I just started asking a better question because I was challenged to ask a better question. So that's what I think. I think it's just unknown, unseen, unplatformed, and that gives God the glory, not a nation, not a church, not a platform. And and I think that's okay, because it keeps it a little pure and a little less power dynamic, hmm. and then no one makes money off of it. And I think that's better too. I
1: just, uh, um, just thank you for that answer. I mean, it was, the, the whole podcast has been just a joy and I think really important, but the, just that moment uh, and hearing your heart on that, um, I really, really feel encouraged and I really encourage people to stay. Yeah, just to tune in for that five minutes, if you could, if you could, I think you had something really important to say. So thank you for sharing. Um, we're, we're at an end now. Uh, unfortunately, um, Jessica, Chris Shank, it's been wonderful to have you on the show, and um, we're grateful for the work that you do, and uh, for the for this book in particular, of course. Um, how do how do people connect with that? And you know, is it more than a book, or, or what? It, how, how can people like tune into just unpacking it further?
0: Yes, so you can get the book on Amazon. Ordinary discipleship: How God wired us for the venture of transformation. I also, I have my, um, or you can also find that at ordinarydiscipleship.com if you just want to like buy the book in bulk or find out about international shipping, things like that. Um, but it's part of my ministry called Huology, W-H-O-O-L-O-G-Y. And the website is whoology.co. And um, we've got an online class that uh, that you can, you, your church, your small group can sign up for. Um, there are videos, there are guide practices. That that workbook part of thing gonna help you tell your story in five minutes or 500 words, and like practice those revelations, discern your personality and how God made you to make a disciple. Um, some of those things. How do you hear from the Holy Spirit? How do you tell the difference between the Holy Spirit's voice and your own voice in your head? There's some exercises there, um, so you can you can get that. Eight, it's an eight session series. I also have different coaching and consulting um training so we do ordinary discipleship ordinary leadership ordinary community and ordinary maturity all cont- all combined with this idea of recapturing narrative disciple making the the thing that was there all along but we're rediscovering it right so ordinary narrative how do we actually be part of god's narrative and lean into narrative disciple making for the transformation of the world so cool.edu.com
1: whoology.com exciting so thank you very much uh J- jesse you've been on the podcast three times so you're almost part of the team uh do you want to come on again
0: <laughs> i would love to i love you guys you guys are so much fun and i just adore you and your wife and your team so um the answer is a standing and always yes
1: wonderful brilliant all right well thank you very much bless you and uh stay tuned we're going to unpack the podcast a little bit early.
2: Welcome back, everybody, uh, and thanks, Mark, for that interview. Uh, before we go and share some of our reflections and talk a little bit further about the interview, uh, we always like to post some questions uh, and enforce a bit of time for you listeners to reflect, uh, accompanied by some music. So we're going to do that again. So before we talk, I'm just going to pose these two questions and then give you roughly 30 seconds just to reflect on this. So the first question is, um, reflect over your own discipleship culture, in your own context and when considering that culture what would you say is present and what would you say is absent based on what you've heard what would be the strong points and what would be the weak points so that's the first question question number two is how can you use what you have heard in this interview to be a resource to grow the kingdom So they're your two questions, enter into this space, reflect over them, write anything down or discuss with other people and we will be back soon. you enjoyed that time uh, in rest and reflection and contemplation over those questions that we posed. Um, and we'll get on to some of our reflections and share some things soon. But before, I'm going to start with the question that we always ask, which is, uh, as the interviewer, how was it for you to be in that place? Did you sense anything happening in the moment? Uh, where did you find your heart and your head uh, during that conversation? I can't remember. <laughs>
1: it <In this laughs> <enough. laughs> I don't I don't really like that question. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're honest, we've got to be honest. That's rule one number one of you discipleship. You've got to make something up. Yeah. yeah. I'm practicing that. Okay. Um make something up. No, I'm not gonna make something up, but it was a few weeks ago when I did the interview. Yeah. If, 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 you okay.
2: give you giving away the secrets of editing here.
1: Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's right. Um I mean we've had Jesse on before and uh, just such an inspiration, someone who really loves the subject, and uh, just with that added dimension of her being a neuroscientist. I know we said that at the beginning, but it mm. just is so helpful, mm. um, particularly like just thinking about how we're actually wired and designed to, yeah. to learn and absorb and to be shaped. Yeah, uh, so um, yeah, I we'll mean, take that with me. Yeah, mm.
2: I, I, I'm gonna jump straight into that actually, but just how we're wired and shaped, something that I just loved was. Um, the autobiographical memory segment, when she's Mm. talking about how we are actually created to be transformed and changed by story. Uh, Such an important thing to consider when, uh, as she was also saying, that literacy has become a qualification for discipleship. Um, Actually, that's not really the thing that's going to transform or change any of us or our journeys. It is just the story that that's how we were created.
1: That's what the natural thing is. It's pretty scary to think how much we forget. Yeah, right. And how much effort and time we put into
2: yeah into learning? How much unnecessary stuff have we learned that we're never going to apply?
1: I did think about that and uh, I hope that you're experiencing this podcast as a like a a walk. Yeah, you can smell good. Yeah, what we're doing here.
2: Yeah, no, you don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> uh i uh, know this is this is just us talking but yeah that that just really yeah. did make me reflect of all the things we do yeah um how much is, is uh, it's just lost it's forgotten yeah and i'm not sure i'm at peace with that question yet
2: no uh, all right well let yeah. me ask you another question then um reflecting back on your own upbringing yes uh, childhood teenage years perhaps what was the discipleship culture where you were uh and how has that changed or grown or developed uh, in the years since
1: yeah i don't like being put in the spotlight here because it's very difficult to answer that question okay i'm just going to say
2: now i've asked you two questions isn't yeah. you? <laughs> you've you've rejected them both
1: <laughs> yeah i just want to you know when you when sit in live like we are yeah um it's really hard to kind of like go back in history and remember what it was like as a child but what i do remember is you know we went to a uh established church with amazing people who had so much generosity, grace, the fruits of the spirit. Mm. Um, not to say there weren't any bad apples <laughs> 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 should say that. I mean it, we weren't they weren't all saints, let's <laughs> just say that. Uh but the community, the mix of beauty and um and messiness was was really was really shaping. Yeah. Um Sundays were a real big thing, so mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, I was taught to sit in long, long meetings, two meetings on a Sunday. Mm. Uh, And then I think as a teenager, um, you know, struggled with maybe having, you know, know, that space of doubt and breaking things apart. So I actually was very conscious of that in my teenage (coughs) years. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably similar for a lot of people, that Mm. as a kid, church was quite good. But then as a teenager, it seemed to not quite function for where i was at as so i I was just a really um hungry questioner um and and then as like when i came to faith you know my early 20s i remember going to other churches and they were doing small groups yeah Uh, and i kind of grew up in a, a faith tradition at that time at least where small groups weren't really practiced so I remember, like, just that paradox of thinking, I know this is really good and healthy mm. when I was invited to these things when I was at university. Mm. I felt awkward yeah. and, you know, I felt the, the accountability that small groups bring. Yeah. I wasn't, hadn't been trained in yeah. um, and praying for people like that and my peers yeah. uh, was quite, uh, both awkward, but probably good stretching <laughs> yeah. wise. Yeah. Uh, that, that was up to my early 20s anyway yeah
2: and <coughs> I'm, I'm assuming that it's moved on or adapted
1: yeah definitely um, I, I think you know it comes with age as well but also just the work that I've been part of been able to encounter other faith traditions yeah um and uh, you know, I don't know whether it's an age thing, but so, or whether it's a, something that's happening across all traditions now. But uh, just a longing for more of the mystical kind of the unknown, yeah. the silence, the stillness, yeah. um, rather than the curriculum or yeah. the course. Yeah. Um, but lacking the guides to take us to that place, yeah. you know, in, certainly within our, you yeah. know, our tradition. So. I'm really conscious of that and that feels like a muscle that's not been flexed. Hmm. Um, But yeah, really grateful for the world we live in. You know, we're able to kind of encounter other traditions a lot easier than we were perhaps maybe 15, 20 years ago.
2: I think think you've just gone over something that I just want to go back to actually that's really important and just thinking uh, in that transition from childhood to teenage years when you started to question the really, really formative years um, and uh, that discipleship journey that... uh, Encouragement to ask questions and to lead people into relationship with Christ, if that starts too late, then it's almost like sending someone on a hike without giving them the right equipment. Mm. Uh, there's something really, really vital and important that this discipleship journey isn't something that we think about when people walk through our first time as adults into a church, but the children that are in your church, what are you preparing with them with in their rucksack? Are they ready to enter into teenage years with a formative questioning brain uh, and uh, embark on a journey of relationship with Jesus. Are mm. they equipped for that? Are they prepared for that? Or are they going to wander off into the wilderness? Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> on top of that, I certainly wasn't really thinking about what it meant to be a disciple-maker. No. Maybe to tell people about Jesus. Uh, and actually, I remember in my when I came to faith, that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. But taking people on a faith journey and being patient with people over the long haul, yeah. I still actually internally... Wish I could get more uh, committed or excited about that. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, that maybe that's about the community as well. We were talking about is discipleship. How much is it? It's about yeah, we're all called to maybe be part of discipleship or disciple others. Yeah. But what what needs to be said about actually the community's role because yeah. of all the unique perspectives within a, a community, like mm. those who are help, helpful in teaching prayer or yeah. that muscle that is so. Unflexed, often mm. <laughs> maybe that's unfair to say, but in some traditions, you know, the, to, to to sense the spirit's voice or mm. practice the prophetic, yeah. uh, I feel really a, a wish as, as growing up that that was more present. Growing up, so I'd be a little bit more at ease mm. in that space. Yeah. Um, so I think we all bring something different, and certainly for newcomers when they come into faith, they need to experience all those aspects. Yeah. Rather than being funneled into, oh, that's what this option looks like. Yeah, learn how to read the Bible, teach a class, or yeah. be a small group leader. Yeah, um, I don't that's know whether really for me, I don't know what about you, but I mean, what did you? How did you feel about the multi-sensory kind of element? Knowing that you're real geeky teacher. You love
2: a classroom, don't you? You also had a comment. How much do you love a classroom? Yeah, quite a lot. But you also, a tip for speaking to future guests, you started one sentence like this, I'm not calling you a geek, but... Uh, and you've just done it to me as well. You're in a bit of a spiky mood today, aren't you? You've got some fire in your bed. Yeah, my
1: wife used to say that as well oh, she? recently, yeah. All right.
2: Um, uh, sorry, the multi sensory, yeah. Uh, being being in so a... vulnerable.
1: In and a... that is dis- that's
2: discipleship, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a bit of both, actually, because I, yes, I love teaching and learning and love it when an idea clicks in my head and that there's something that just like, makes sense to me for the first time um but at the same time i'm completely uh it, i experience god the the most when i am in nature surrounded by like awesomeness like massive mm. waves or animals or buildings or all those kind of things just like um so yeah so there's something um with with that uh, in terms of the experiences that she was talking about, um, I'd love to be partake in one of the uh, discipleship 40-day wilderness things. It mm. sounds absolutely silly. That's your uh, cup of two, is it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think it would be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, w- and we spoke about this in our church recently, but just having that journey from head to heart, I think is so, so vital for discipleship journeys, both individually and as a community.
1: I was really, like, blown away <clears> that they do it for 40 days. Yeah. I mean, usually in church we do like a weekend or a week. Yeah. But I was thinking, forty days. Who's got that time? Yeah. Yeah. But biblical, obviously very biblical.
2: Yeah. yeah. Should we, should we like do like four hours or something with our with our church to begin with?
1: Yeah, I don't think about forty days. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> forty minutes. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, uh, let's start. Uh, Bringing it to a close, I think, for today. Um, We've got uh, another podcast coming soon.
1: That's right. We've got Michael Frost coming on, and he's going to be talking about his uh, new work, his new book, Mission is the Shape of Water. Interesting name.
2: Mm. Okay. Uh, And uh, also keep an eye out for um, Podcasting is Really Good, the single that you heard at the start of this episode, which Mark is uh, releasing onto iTunes
1: I am, and I've been slightly distracted in this last segment yeah. as I've had a, a drumbeat that I've been working on <laughs> in, in my head that might just bring it to life. <laughs>
2: wow. Well, stay tuned for that exciting news as well, listeners. You heard it here first. That's an exclusive. Uh, until next time, uh, be blessed, go in peace, yeah. and uh, yeah, reflect on this episode, uh, and go and make changes
1: and uh, embark on the exciting discipleship journey.